Steph, you ready to do it for the new year? Yes, I am. 2020? Yes, I am. Here we go. Woo! Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this brand new year and a new episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio for our almighty. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and two very dear Wonderful special guests. You rock the adjectives. They deserve a few more. Do you have more adjectives? I could could do it. I could do it. Dear, wonderful, awesome, intelligent, wise, just precious friends that we are so blessed with. And one of these guests, I have to say it, 86. 86 and 90. That's insider talk. Well, I'm going to explain. No idea what you're talking. I have to explain. So why don't I get a number? (laughs) <laughs> You're number you, one. That's right. Oh, thank you. That's Kate. right. So, are we gonna? Can we announce them? Yeah, absolutely. Is that okay? Sure. We have with us Mark and Kate Genovese. First of all, another fun last name to say, Genovese. Genovese. Um, but Mark and I are both alum of the great and wonderful. There's two more adjectives for you. Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania, class Yay. of '86 and class yes. of '92. And I won't tell you. Who is who's? Awesome. I'm the 86. I have no problem yeah. with that whatsoever. <laughs> I claim 92. Yeah. And is dear, just, I am, I guess I am an adjectival kind of person. You are. Just uh, dear sister in Christ mm-hmm. who is so beautiful inside and out, my dear friend Kate. So folks, we're going to hear their story. And if you go to IgniteRadioLive.com, you'll hear many wonderful testimonial stories. We draw from uh, Revelations 12:11. We see the enemy active and around us, but they defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the Mass, and the word of their testimony. It's a challenge for all of us to recognize our story is the fabric of God. And in our struggles, difficulties, challenges, he has made known that the resurrection follows the crucifixion. Wherever you're at in that process, you are the fabric of God. And um, in a particular way, um, I'm going to set the stage tonight for their story before we go back to the very beginning, because it's, of course, a very good place to start. Great song by one of my favorite bands, Triumph. Fight the good fight. The very first lyrics, Mark's nodding his head up and down. It's actually taken right out of Timothy, this famous rock band from the 1970s. I couldn't even endeavor to sing Rick Emmett's phenomenal voice. But anyways, the first lyric that that hits you is, The days grew shorter and the nights are getting long. It seems like we're running out of time. Every day it seems much harder telling right from wrong. you got to read between the lines. And if you want to hear the song, you can get it on Spotify or whatever else. But it was my anthem as a child and continues to carry me today. So why am I setting the stage with that? For a number of reasons. One, Emmanuel, the Word, became flesh. Let's look for truth that's proclaimed out there. Number two, we're coming off the holidays we had a phenomenal uh, Christmas season, the Schleters, and we could go into that, but we're not going to. It would take hours and hours, but absolutely fabulous time, encounter conference and a funeral, which actually was a proclamation. Uh, Steph and I led a f- wonderful retreat for the wonderful women of Magnificat. Just so blessed and amazing time. We had your time. mom and dad with us. And I, so, I mean, you guys have heard this out there. We have six kids, one in heaven, so seven total, six. And my dad affectionately refers to the younger three as the leftovers because they're still in the house. And they actually like that title. But to 
today I dropped off the third of the elders, which kind of punctuated in our home back to normal, back to, if you will, our ordinary state where each is at the place they're meant to be, and a little bit of sadness. Mm -hmm. You parents know what I'm talking about. When your house is full of that vitality and activity and so joyous and wonderful and all of that, well, we're back to it, and the days are a little darker. And if you follow politics or even things in the church and read the paper, all that, we might be tempted to um, be to suffocate a little bit, to experience a darkness. And Kate and Mark's story, as you will hear down the road, punctuates something that we're all going through because, again, we are the fabric of God revealed in Christ. What is that? From depression or um, discord. discord to delight. From depression or discord to delight. So if right now you're tuned in, as you are, um, you're experiencing clouds, shadows, darkness, challenges. Um, listen close, because that is not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story, and you're going to hear later on and through anybody's story, but Deacon Mark and Kate's story, um, their ongoing journey from discord and depression to delight, that wonderful journey we share together, which is embodied in the Mass and overflows into our lives. So with that as a stage setting... So I'll I'll probably digress with this comment, but I want you to listen closely because I have to say that of all the guests we've ever had over these however many years that we've been blessed to be on Annunciation Radio, you are going to be blown away by the radio voice extraordinaire of Deacon Mark Genovese. No pressure. But you don't, you all lower expectations. No, honey. I will not. I shall you don't not. learn that term. So, anyway, so yes. I think you've made him blush. <laughs> and he. That's not easy. And that's a nice is contrast with the green. Yeah, thank you. Is yes. he coming through getting that mic? No, it doesn't sound like Yeah, we're going to have to figure out yeah. something there. I don't know what's going on, but we'll figure that out quickly. Um, Maybe they can share a mic. This is a live show, as you can is, tell. It is. So before we uh, actually, well, we're, why don't you guys share that microphone right there? Um, See, this right is marriage exactly. at its finest, right here. The two shall become one. In front microphone. Of the yellow microphone. <laughs> we still like oh, beautiful. Yes. So first of all, just give us the bio right now, status of the Genovese's, Mark and Kate, at this moment where you work and your family and that sort of thing. Then we're going to go back. Okay. Um, I am a permanent deacon of the Diocese of Toledo since September of 17. Yeah. Woot woot. And um, I am a instructor. I'm an instructor for seniors at St. Francis de Sales School on Bancroft. And love that job. Been there a few years now and enjoy every minute. Of Shout, Shout out, out to, to the, the boys. Shout out to the Franny, Franny boys. boys. That's right. And my son-in-law is a Franny boy. So, you know, can't, yeah. you can't beat that. Um, got my master's degree in systematic theology from Lord's University. Mm-hmm. And, and um, that's what I'm doing. What about you? Well, I'm in my 20th year at the Ohio Turnpike. Um, working all different kinds of hours in transportation on a road that never closes. Mm. She makes it happen, people. And um, I am the wife of Deacon Mark. I am a mother of four. Um, We have a son-in-law and a future daughter-in-law. And we have four grandchildren. Wonderful. And those are my joys. And one on the way? We have four and a half. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So, there we go. Wonderful. Are you, you back hear, in there? You, I don't know. The, 
Hello? Yeah, oh, there it is. Okay. All right. right. Alive and, and kicking. time. Bing bong. Seven well, we need the green and gold together. I think St. Francis together. interceded for you. No, I think it's the green and gold mics. It's the Green Bay Packer effect going on over oh, there. Oh, for goodness. Anyways, come on. Cheesehead. So um, <laughs> let's go back to the very beginning. And each of you, if you would please just kind of share, give us the, the background of the circumstances of your upbringing, parents and family, particularly with a view towards faith and your discovering and choosing the same. Oh, well. Um, typical Western Pennsylvania, Italian American family, you know, you had to go to mass on Sunday. Ate pasta. Yeah. Plenty of pasta and, uh, visits to grandma on the weekends. My father has gone, but, um, very strong, strong willed man leading the family. Uh, my mother's younger brother has been a priest of the diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania since 1970. And so on Memorial Day weekend, I will be the deacon of the Mass for his 50th anniversary wow. Mass. Awesome. I think Persico is going to be there. That's wow. awesome. Praise so God. Bishop, Bishop and he yes. was the say. server with his brother. Right. Back my brother and I were servers at, at his mass. first Mass That's in 1970. Awesome. So, I mean, we were raised very strongly Catholic. At times, of course, as a teenager, you resent going yes. to Mass. I mean, who, what teenager doesn't that I'm aware of? But you had to go. And I'm glad that we went. I. Uh, went to broadcast school, went on the air with my own radio show. I want to pause you a second because I, I want to get that very interesting information. But back to oh. the resenting going to mass thing. Yeah. Because the whole personalization that which has always been embedded in the church but has taken more focus in the last decades, a recovery that there is this personal dimension with Christ at the heart of liturgy. What, in your mind, were the reasons, perhaps, for resenting Mass? Because you tell us, coming from a Catholic family, but yet, you know, it didn't quite carry over. What was going on there? Well, it, looking back at it now, as a 61-year-old man, uh, it was a misconception about what Mass was. Mm-hmm. Okay? I wanted to get something out of Mass. I'm, my constant complaint to my parents was, mm. I'm not getting anything out of going to Mass. <laughs> I didn't realize till later— when I left to join the, uh, the seminary at St. Mark's in Erie as a young man, that it, it's what you put into the Mass. It's not what you can get out of it. And so once I had that all figured out, it made sense. But as a teenager, it's like, this doesn't make sense to me. Okay, And I, I remember those feelings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were wrong, but I remember them. And they were a strong part of who I was at that time sure. at 17 years old. Let me press you a little further with insight that you both have. You're also dealing with a tremendous culture clash, right? You're dealing with availability of media and a culture that, you know, the pill and, and uh, you know, whatever, uh, rock and roll, sex, drug, all that is, is prominent in the, in the water that people are drinking more than 20 years prior to that. Yeah. So um, give us a portrait maybe of the culture that you were living in, your friends, your peers. What was life like 16, 17, 18 years old, those pressures that you faced? Well, they, they were there. I mean, you know, you had, uh, you had the drugs. You had, I smoked constantly. I mean, I always joke with my students that when I started high school in the fall of 72, my school supplies were, and I quote, <laughs> one pen, one uh, composition book and a pack of Marlboros. Okay. I know. So at 14 years <laughs> old, course, I, I was right? smoking, right? 14 I mean, years every, old. Yeah, exactly. And your parents didn't know about that? Uh, didn't the, care? No, of course You're not. You're clandestine. No. If the colonel had found out about that, I'd have been dead. <laughs> okay. But, but no, it, it, it's and just the way it was. You know, marijuana was very prevalent back then. I never experienced or ran with people that had the hard drugs, but marijuana was 
everywhere mm-hmm. in the scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Long, you know, bell bottoms. I had my hair down past my shoulders, a chain around my neck. I was trying. How to, many know, siblings did you have? I have a brother who's gone now. He was a year younger than me, and then I have a sister who's eight years younger. Okay. So I was the so oldest. Three of you. So it was. It was, and we moved a lot. Dad was in the army, so we had to move a lot. And looking back on it now. I resented that, mm. and I acted out mm. because of that, mm. because I would just get you know used to somebody, and then we'd move again. Mm. And I had to move. The, the, the second half of my junior year, I had to move from Sharon High School, which had indoor track, indoor swimming pool, indoor tennis court, planetarium, right, to Norwalk High School that was built during the work by the Works Progress Administration, no air conditioning, no nothing. And I resented the heck out of that. Mm-hmm. And I acted out. Mm-hmm. And so I was a problem, mm-hmm. you know, for my parents. And, and, and I know that. But as I tell my students, I tell them my whole story in class so that they can learn from my mistakes. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that I regret, mm-hmm. you know, sure. as a teenager. But now, looking back on it, it's helped to make me who I am and helped yeah. me to appreciate the life that I lead now. Awesome. The Lord uses it all. We've said it before, but that whole Cecil B. DeMille line, of course, the producer of the Ten Commandments, who really can't break the Ten Commandments or say the moral law. We can only break ourselves against it. And your testimony, like others, is testimony to that. You can go for it and see if you're happier, more fulfilled, joyful, spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, etc. So continue forward then from that point. I'm grateful for that kind of cultural coloring in. So you were talking about broadcast school and that sort of thing. Right. I, I um, In 79, I went to the Ohio School of Broadcast Technique in Cleveland and got a job on the air for three years, had my own radio show for three years. But at the same time, again, I began to appreciate more, sort of like, sort of like Scott Hahn's story where he, you know, he was going to Mass and beginning to understand more and more like the Supper of the Lamb bit mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. Well, that happened to me as well. And, and I... Always had these feelings. You know what? Because Uncle Ray, I'd have talks with Uncle Ray, and I'd have talks with my grandmother, his mother, my mom's mom. And I finally decided, I said, you know, I'm never going to know if I'm being called to priesthood unless I try. Mm. And so I entered Gannon University and St. Mark's Seminary in the fall of 82. Okay, there's a leap in there that I want to press you to maybe color in a little bit. To go from, you know, kind of the Woodstock life, background, history, culture, to, to... to interest in the priesthood and the proposition that you had to give up women and sex. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what took you to that point? I can't say. I mean, I really, you His know, grandma even, and Uncle Ray. Well, yeah. <laughs> Come but on. I don't, I don't know because it's, I've, I've thought about that a lot. It was just more like a feeling that was always there or a mm-hmm. thought that was always there in my head. And I, I talked to grandma about it. I said, what did Uncle Ray say? How did, you mm-hmm. know, and and she was not much help. She was, you know, the t- she was a wonderful mother of a priest, you know. And she said, "Oh, I could always see him as a priest." Well, that didn't help me, <laughs> any, right? So, I decided I went first. I talked to Dan Zach because we were living in Norwalk about Toledo, and then I said, "You know, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to my home diocese." Mm-hmm. And so that's why I went back there. They didn't know he was vocations director, probably. Did you? Sure. Yeah, oh, they yeah. knew Dan Zach was vocations oh. director. Sure. Well, I did yeah, back then, diocese. way back, right. way back when he was, because yeah. you know I'm an old man. But and then I went. But it, it's hard. I've thought about this many times, and I can't explain it mm-hmm. other than the fact that it was always there. And I finally decided in my classroom. I have a full page article from the Sandusky Register from 1982. They sent a reporter who was a buddy of mine 
up to St. Mark's. And I have a, there's a picture of me standing in front of St. Mark's Seminary, and they did a whole one-page article or in, the, in the Sandusky Register about me leaving being a disc jockey, as they used to call it, okay. and going into yes. the seminary. Wolfman Mark. Yeah, Wolfman, well, Mark Andrews. <laughs> okay, so it was Mark Wolfman Andrews. Mark yeah. Andrews. Do you have any little bits that you recall that's just in your head that you would always say on air, your introduction of yourself that you can do right well, now? Well, I just did that a little bit ago, which you were okay. talking. Well, yeah, I sorry. saw it. Yeah, All right. well, the, you know, the mic was the dead. time, bing bonk, 16 past 8 o'clock. Good morning. Okay, you know, nice. Whatever, yeah. You know, it, was, okay. it was a different time yep. back then. You know? <laughs> so you, you get a still small voice that you're referring to, that there's, yeah. a, there's a tugging at yeah. your heart. You always had it in the water, if you will, as kind of part of it your culture. It was always there. Okay. I suppressed it. You yeah. know, look, the one thing I can figure out is that I was, in the 70s, in high school and just beyond high school, I was suppressing it. Okay. So I finally decided to give it a shot. And so I went. Okay. Yeah, there you go. And then after a couple of years, I began, and, and without getting into too much detail, the problems that were, that were going on in the Diocese of Erie at that time, um, kind of my seminary experience wasn't the greatest, mm-hmm. okay? Tregilio speaks about that in his book. I don't yes. know the title of it. Yes, but. I know, yeah. And, and I knew, I mean, a lot of the priests that were mentioned uh, in that mm-hmm. uh, report from the Diocese of Erie, I knew a couple of them I lived with in the mm-hmm. seminary. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, my uncle often says, it's no wonder you're not a priest after that kind of mm-hmm. seminary experience. Mm-hmm. But I left. I decided, okay, I guess I'm not being called, but at least I tried it. Mm-hmm. I decided to stay at Gannon. I said, I'm halfway through to my bachelor's degree. Let's just continue on and get that college degree. So I lived at the Kirk House down on Myrtle Street, okay, with a bunch of other yes. young Christian men who were, yeah. you know, seeking, you know, uh, still seeking God. And, uh, of course, most of them were not Catholic, so that was a culture shock for them, not right. me. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember one time walking in there and there. They were all medical students, okay? And my, my roommate who left the seminary with me, Mike Campbell, um, who's my daughter Rosemary's godfather, mm-hmm. okay? We come in one night after being out at, whatchamacallit, downtown. Mm-hmm. That's no longer there. Not Skipperino. And it's actual name, no. folks. He's not just No, no. It was, I, can't remember the name. Name. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the, of the place. Oh, I thought the, it was called whatchamacallit. It was a saloon, okay? Yeah. But anyway, we come back, and they've got a big chalkboard in the kitchen, and... They're going over chemical formulas and try to memorize all this stuff for an exam. And they're eating uh, macaroni and cheese. And the first thing I said was, wow, imagine how good that macaroni and cheese would have tasted before the fall. <laughs> and they, they didn't think it was that funny. But I thought it was, I'm like, yeah, come on. Give Bring, me it on. Bring it yeah. on. Bring it on. So faith at that point, uh, give, give, how old were you, roughly, coming okay, out of seminary? Coming out of seminary would have been 84, so I was 26. Okay. So at that point, uh, uh, an owned, intentional, personal faith in Christ, obviously yes. growing and journeying yes, deeper, growing, but at that point, yes. okay, awesome. And then, I mean, I'm home. Uh, there was a wonderful man who I'd worked for in between high school and when I went to broadcast school for that three-year period, 76 to 79, I'd worked in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman who ran that grocery store and then finally bought it was probably the best, best manager I've ever had. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful man. And he had told me, you don't even need to ha- you're not, I'm, I'm not going to put you on the schedule. If you come home from college on a weekend, mm-hmm. just punch in, go to work, work 10 hours, 12 hours, 14, whatever you want to work, I'll pay you. And, and it was wonderful. But that's where I met Kate. 
Okay. Was at the grocery dun, store. Dun, so let's, dun, let's dun. pause the cashier at this. who married her bagger. Yes. <laughs> wow. What a story. What yeah, a book that's title. That's a title of a book. book title. Title. Yeah. Yes. So let's uh, pause at that moment in the timeline and go back to beautiful Kate and Catherine. tell us a little bit little about Catherine. your background. Well, I'm the youngest of actually eight children, seven living. Um, my older siblings are like, 15 and 17 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I joke that they kept going till they got to perfection. Exactly. And uh, it's your line, so, stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, anyways. Where have you heard that before? <laughs> yeah. Dominic, our youngest son who's working soundboard, just pointed to himself yeah. with a smile. <laughs> he agrees. So, um, coming from a large Catholic family and 12 years of Norwalk um, Catholic schools. Um, my dad was a mechanic and my mother stayed home, very traditional roles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we prayed the rosary on trips to visit our grandparents in the car. Everyone would take a decade mm-hmm. and we always did all the Catholic things. We were basically in church all of Holy Week. Um, we went to Catholic school. We had Catholic friends. And until I went to Ohio State in 1981, I was never really challenged with my faith mm-hmm. because all I had was Catholic friends mm-hmm. who had the same beliefs and the same lifestyle. It's pretty remarkable, but that's great. Yeah. And um, in 1976, my parents were in a car accident and my mother died. Mm-hmm. And How old were you at that time? I was 13. Okay. And that was really, um, I had a sister who was a senior in high school and a brother who was like two years out of high school. So the three of us were living at home Mm -hmm. and everyone else was married and had children. Like the one sister had just gotten married in August of 76 and the accident was in October. Mm. So talking about one night, your whole world just turning upside down. And that's where I really, really drew on my faith and just, um, you know, who I, I needed my faith in God and it was there. And he always sent me angels or like in retrospect, women in my life. Um, I'm still good friends with Sister Mary Celine, who is my eighth grade mm. teacher. And um, I always felt that my mother always prayed the rosary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had married the Blessed Virgin as my spiritual mother because my physical mother was no longer with me. But she's in my heart because I'm part of her. And um, so I didn't really realize a lot of things because even back in the 70s you didn't do blood alcohol test and you didn't talk about um, alcoholism and you know there was AA and all those things but when I went to Ohio State and then came home did I really realize that I grew up my high school years with an alcoholic mm. and those behaviors sometimes still creep into our marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. If I could just back up. So your mom died when you were 13. Yes. And you kind of took on a motherly role then in yes. your house. Right? I, so that, I became the woman of the house right. and went to high you, school. And grew and, up very quickly yes. because of that. So Correct. on the alcohol theme also, you've shared this with us, that 
reflecting back, alcohol consumption was a very, quote unquote, ordinary part of your family existence. Correct. Yes. It have when I, I didn't realize when I went to Ohio State Lightweights. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was the queen really. of quarters. Really. <laughs> I mean, I could do shots at my yeah. table you guys call that drinking? with my family yeah. because I could have as much alcohol as I wanted any time. Mm-hmm. So I really never went out with my classmates because, you know, why I didn't have to sneak it. If I wanted it, it was free-flowing. Yeah, to kind, of, oh, to kind of give you an insight on that, when after we got engaged— they have family reunions, and in those days, family reunions were three, four hundred people because Katie's dad was one of sixteen. Mm. She's one of eight. Her dad's one of sixteen. Okay. I have eighty-nine first cousins. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so we had to go to her family reunion in Norwalk at the Bronson Norwalk Conservation Club is where they used to hold them. I'm very nervous because I know that they read the minutes every year, and the new the new uh, news for this year, 1984, is that George's daughter, Katie, is engaged to this Italian guy, <laughs> as they said it. And, and so to give you a clue on what her family was like was, so we're there, we, we get there, and I'm carrying a watermelon, I'm bringing a watermelon. We had stopped to pick up a couple of her sister's children to bring them to the reception. And as we're Amen. writing our names in, in at the podium as we start to come in, this older gentleman comes up, and he has a can of beer in each hand. And he says, you must be Mark. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, I'm Uncle Carl, which I knew was my future father-in-law's brother, right? And I said, well, yes, sir. And he handed me both beers, and he said, here, you're going to need these. <laughs> and so, yeah. The story Ex- yeah. continues. The story wow. continues. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Kate... Um, great. Tumultuous because of circumstances, definitely Catholicism woven into the to- little toxicity there, not a little minute amount of toxicity um, for those who have alcoholism in their family, some who know it, others who maybe don't, and the effects. And suddenly you find yourself out the door and you're in at Ohio State, able to make decisions for your own life. And, and what is with any of us at a certain age, what do we own? What's important? What's valuable? Tell us what, what played out there. Um, it was very interesting because, you know, um, Ohio State's a large university, and when you're a freshman, you're stuck in the towers, and you have, like, one bathroom for 16 people, mm. and mm. it's called a suite. Right. And, um, <laughs> so you know, sweet. so you have two bunk beds, then you have a mutual bathroom, and then a mutual living room, and, you know, so, and you lived on the 21st floor, well, Norwalk doesn't have that tall of buildings, and um, so not into skydiving. No, (laughs) so um, it was very liberating and free. Like, if I could go back and really focused on my studies that first quarter, because I'm a procrastinator, so I was doing the Friday night going out. Well, what do you do in the fall at Ohio State? You football, you know, and you bleed scarlet and gray. And there was 3.2 alcohol, which we called near beer. So we could get stamped for low alcohol and you could go get your buckets of beer or have kegs and eggs. And that's what young and dumb people do. You were a nursing student, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Not a slacker uh, area of study. No. Yeah. Well, I got... 
the first year is ge- was general, and then you get accepted into mm-hmm. the nursing it's, um, program. Program. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. So um, what started to happen in the winter of 1983, I dropped out of Ohio State, and I did not realize it was seasonal affective disorder, and I would go into very severe depression. Mm-hmm. So winter quarter, I was home, and then I would get better, and I'd go back mm. and finish my spring quarter. Can I pause you a moment? Yes. Did you know that you had this seasonal affective disorder prior to this? No, okay. because it, there was, it was 1983. Three. Three, yes. Mm. And so... Um, in the spring of 84, I um, met a bunch of people from the grocery store from spring break, and this gentleman, Mark Genovese, was saying, I'm not going back to the seminary next year, and he's already home. Here's my phone number when you get back home for the summer of 84. C- give me a call, and... Um, Okay, it's a little bit too quick for the women in the in the audience. <laughs> you liked well, him, he liked you, Sparks. Well, I mean, not what, what led to that point? He was pretty pushy. He's Italian. Okay. <laughs> Italian. But he dug you. <laughs> that, I mean, you're that you're is right away. Well, now you gotta remember, we were we Okay, so I'm. I'm Mark's working. talking with his hands right now, too. Uh, by yeah. the way, just right. for you just listeners, I do. and yeah. I yeah. do now yeah. also. You know, Lou Tulio did. Yes, that our Erie mayor. Yeah, our Erie mayor. Anyway, am I buying? Oh, there we go, Dominic. Thank you. Keep me on. You, you know, actually, I think, I, think the, I think there's a problem with the technology. Yeah, you know, there's a problem with the mic. So anyway, I'm, I'm gonna have to ask. I'm, you. I can okay, hear you're myself. Good now. I'm yep. good. So uh, I'm working that night at the grocery store, and up the aisle as I'm stocking Kraft macaroni and cheese dinners. Um, I see this young girl coming up, and she's wearing flip-flops, and she's wearing a white miniskirt, and she's wearing a black halter top, and she has a button, which I still have, that says, I'm the person your mother warned you about. Okay? So she was in in to see the two girls that were running the cash office, okay? And so they were going to go out. So I kind of wormed my way into that, and... Um, we went to a place called the Shamrock and had some drinks, and it was a Saturday night. It was June the seventh. You guys something, are good. No, I to get no, no it's only because. Wait, wait, I'll tell you that in a minute. A reason there's a reason. Why. The June seventh. No, so, this was in May because when I came oh. home in June, then it was two weeks. Okay, yeah. So we we went out, and our first date was technically mass at the uh, shrine in Bellevue, the Sorrowful Mother Shrine. Because After picked, we'd been out with breakfast all morning. Yeah. Okay, there you she go. She came and picked me up in her dad's car, a white citation, and um, took, us, took us to mass. But anyway, June 7th, we started getting together, and we would spend 12, 13, 14 hours a day. Mm. After two weeks. Sparks are flying. Yeah, oh yeah. After two weeks, <laughs> after two weeks, we are on the beach. We're on the beach in Huron. In, she, I have her Ohio State sweatshirt on. She has my Gannon sweatshirt on, right? We're having oh, a picnic on the beach, cute. right? And I simply said, why don't we get married? And she said, okay. So we'd only been dating two weeks and we were engaged. Well, and he so, kind of put it in two years. It said, yeah, well, yeah. When, I, when we finish school. We can get married because I wanted to finish my bachelor's degree. Right, mm-hmm. right. So we were engaged on June And 25th. I'm an impulsive person. Yeah, right. <laughs> so 
Uh, we were engaged on June 21st of 84. We got married on June 21st of 86. That's Beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, and you guys are June 21st. We as well, right. so our, 96. First, our yeah. first date was June 21st of 96. And our. No, weren't you married in 96? And our married. Our, our married, our marriage was 97. June twenty first, ninety seven. Oh, okay. oh, so you all had right. a year. Yeah. Oh, you guys yeah. are just kids. Yeah, we, yeah we're pops. Right? Yeah. So back up a second, because oh, all this happened quite quickly as you describe this. You were out of um, Kate. You were had already made the decision at that point that you had left Ohio State when you went to the grocery store. No, okay. um, I had gone back for the spring quarter. Okay, and then this is where things get a bit interesting. Is we go back to go finish our programs. So he's in Erie mm-hmm. and I'm at Ohio State. So he would maybe come and visit, we'd go to a football game, or I would go up to Erie to visit him. And it got to be winter quarter again, and I could not mm-hmm. function. Right. And one Saturday morning, I showed up at the front door of his of the Kirk house and he wasn't expecting me and I was just a hot mess Mm. and I didn't know why and I had all these feelings I had all this but I had to go to the person who is my person right and you know we're trying to figure out what was going on with me and so even though we were just engaged for how long? And we had a two-year engagement. The two-year engagement wasn't all peaches and cream. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of emotional mm-hmm. um, Stuff. baggage, <laughs> as yeah. they call it. And um, he was always very supportive. Mm-hmm. And um, then what finally happened is in 85, I did not go back. Okay. And I was able to get a job first in a factory, which I don't recommend. And then I um, became an, a, an aide at the Montessori School in Huron, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And I went to get my certifica- certification um, mm-hmm. later to be a Montessori directress for three to six-year-olds. So when we got married, I was teaching preschool. So we're seeing the emergence in your life of a battle with unseen forces, whether physiological or spiritual. You said emotional. I think it probably covers all that as you were trying to figure it out. Scary, right? You you speak of a hot mess. You're becoming aware of that. Anybody who's listening right now has either been in that place. Maybe they're experiencing a taste of it right now. You're grappling with it. You have a relationship with Mark, and obviously he's your go-to. Uh, you're you're engaged, so I'm kind of I'm kind of getting that. Where was faith at that point in the picture between the two of you, and you know how are you kind of understanding this this battle called a battle? How are you understanding the battle at that point? Well, I know that my battle and my faith was very personal. So we would go to church and we would do our Catholic things, but. I wouldn't like share because I didn't know how to put into words mm. what I was feeling and where this was all coming from. I just knew that there was a darkness or a mm. shadow over me. And if you've never experienced mental health issues and depression, mm. and I was not sharing, 
you think pick up your bootstraps and move mm. along mm. what is you know you you don't under you don't have a basis of understanding right and and you want to be supportive but you really don't know what to do because you don't have these feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember, guys are enculturated in our society to be fixers. Mm-hmm. Let's find the problem. Let's get it fixed. And and the, one of the biggest stresses on us, even after we were married, was I'm trying everything I can think of to fix Kate, mm-hmm. right? Because I love her and I want her to – and it, and it has been difficult because, I mean, even sometimes today after almost mm-hmm. 34 years of marriage, it's – what Kate do I run into today, okay? Or what Kate is going to be there when I get home or when she comes home, what Kate is going to be there? And so uh, you, you sort of like walk on pins and needles. You, you, you do your best. Uh, sometimes I'm very accommodating, like, okay, whatever you want to do, even though I might feel it's not the best thing, I'm trying not to start an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're, you're like, you, I, I, I will always... I always try to get an instant sense of who she is at the moment that I see her. And so if I can get that sense, then I know how to react. Do I walk on eggshells or can I be myself? And, and so dealing with, dealing with mental health mm. issues, if anybody out there is dealing mm. with that, please. We've gone through counseling together. She goes to counseling still, and I would strongly— And I have medication that yes, helps. Yes, she's on medications. You know, but the medication, it takes a long time to find the right mix. Sure. Homeostasis, just trying. Well, it builds up in the bloodstream. So before we go too much into this, um, we're in the story here. Uh, You guys, they meet and they get married. So um, Mm -hmm. let's just go back a little bit and maybe trace that, if you will, because I want to come up to about seven years ago moment and kind of recover some of the things you're saying now. The battle came to Mm -hmm. an apex. I want to get to that point. So trace for us in short order from dating, engagement, Marriage and children up to present, up yeah. to seven years ago. So we got married June 21st of 86 at my parish, which was St. Mary's in Norwalk, because at the time St. Paul's was having interior renovations done. There was scaffolding everywhere. <laughs> that and she did not, not work She well did not want, bride. yeah, she did for a bride. I'm with you. Yeah, no. exactly. You know, Bungee cords, just not yeah, the right exactly. thing. Coming Whatever. In, you, know. I, you know. Plaster. So, <laughs> so we get married. Okay, we get on uh, get on the honeymoon. Well, we had a huge wedding party. There were what twenty six in our wedding nine party? on the side. Yeah, mm-hmm. she go kept big asking. Or go home. She kept asking girls, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm running out of guys to ask. <laughs> would you please? So, I came from a big family. Hey, yeah. you walking down <laughs> yeah. the street. I don't it, care. You it, breathe. It almost. It almost Are you Italian? Yeah, it almost <laughs> came to that. Yeah. I'm telling. Yeah, I tell you. So we get married. We go on our honeymoon to Virginia Beach. Okay, we come back, we set up, we had an apartment. Uh, she had already started living in that apartment before we were married. And we set up our home there in, in, uh, uh, in Norwalk. And uh, 11 months later, here comes Joey. Okay, May 2nd of 87. Little Joey. Little Joe, who's Joey. now, yeah, Joey's almost 33. Joey. So yeah, little, Joey. Joey. Joseph always have, Phillip. You always have to have a Giuseppe or a Giovanni in any right. Italian Giuseppe. family, right? Giuseppe, He's named after my dad. Okay. Yes. So everyone, all of our children are named after people in our lives. Okay, Andrew is. I didn't want a junior, so instead of Mark Andrew, it's Andrew Mark. Yeah, oh, that's okay? cool. And he had an uncle Andrew. Very humble of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Humility. I'm known for that. Yeah. Ask my students. Anyway. Ask our family. And then um, uh, Rosemary is named after her mother, who was killed in the mm. accident. And then Julia was named. We had a we had a great aunt. I had a great aunt who was. Um, uh, who Widowed ma- and had yeah, no children. Three, married three times. Outlived, outlisted three husbands and never had a child. 
So we named Julie after her. Nice. But anyway, we get married. We start having children. Um, and they working. were bam, bam. I mean, Joey's well, three Joey and a half was years. Three and a half years. But then came Andrew. Then came Rosemary. Then and came Julia. Right. I had so, three in diapers. At the same time. And there again, that's stressful, right? Yes. Right. And so we saw this, you know, this... It began to wear on her. And again, I'm like, what do I do? I mean, we've got kids to take care of, and she's not even capable of taking care of herself. Julia's, um, when I was pregnant with Julia, I was in severe depression. Mm. What year, roughly? That was 92, 92. 93. She was born in November. And I was even hospitalized, and I didn't even share it with all my family Mm. because I was embarrassed. Mm. Because I knew in my head that this was wrong i was carrying life but i did and not should be happy and i honest. did not want another child mm. yeah. and i couldn't take medicine right. and so you just go through the flow and you don't want to see people and people that don't understand you feel judged and you just kind of want to, you know, you, you go looking and nobody's home and you have three kids and your husband's working all these hours and it's, you know, your desert experience. Mm. But in retrospect, you can see God in all those places because um, when Andrew was just you know, like four months old, I made a Seneca weekend mm. at the Pines. Yes. And when I got home <laughs> after mass was two or three hours and Mark was home with his boys. I was I was at your sister's farm. And right, waiting but you for were you. at your mother's too because yeah, you I'm needed like, help. Wait a minute, what I didn't know I didn't know what a Seneca was, right? Right. right. And I'm I'm waiting and going when she got there, I was Or mad. charismatic mass. I said there's no mass that lasts three hours. Okay, I've no. There's no way. What were What were you doing? What you? Why did you take so long? I was I was upset, yeah. and so she wanted me to go. Okay, and so I on was, a men's on a men's with my brother-in-law Paul and my father-in-law George, and so it was all set. But I wasn't feeling well, right? And so I didn't know this because I was asleep. I was ill. But my wife was praying over me all week at night when I was sleeping mm-hmm. that I would be better to go to this. If I'd have woken up There's and seen that, well, I'd have yeah. probably I am a ninja out. prayer. Okay, wow. I can pray awesome. ninjally. Yeah. So you won't even know. That's a ninja great word. Ninjally. Like it. <laughs> Once I, yeah, good. if I'd have seen that, I'd have freaked out. But now that I, I mean, I began to understand. So did I went, you feel better? Okay. No. Well, Listen to this. I told my brother. When you get there, you get Mark's car keys. Because once he goes in there and sees people praising and worshiping in tongues, he is going to run, run, run. I looked across I looked across the room, my father in law, and we both look at each other like, We need to get the heck out of here. Yeah. And These people are well, listen, you're a car man. Another shot about a Honda, you know, another shot of vodka. Honda. You got that. Whatever. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm speaking in tongues. No, and, you know, rice I have burners. great respect and regard for tongues yeah, and yeah. all that. So No, no, yeah. So no. But so breakthrough moment in some sense for this experience. Yeah, it was. It was. And then afterwards, we became very big members of the charismatic movement. We were at OLPH. 
wonderful people down there in mm-hmm. that charismatic movement many years ago. Got to pause so, you. Got to no. pause you, especially following Peter Herbeck last week in our interview with him coming off of the amazing Encounter event. Folks, just queuing you to go to IgniteRadioLive.com and hear that amazing interview with our brother in Christ, uh, Peter. But I asked him the question, Peter, you know, a lot of folks listening, and I'm, you were in that yeah. space, yep. you know, I am... Um, quote unquote, a good soldier Catholic. I go to mass, I pray the rosary, maybe adoration. I want to be faithful to church teachings, catechism, got it, got it, got it. I'm good. I don't need anything else. What took you deeper? What happened yeah. in your own description for you guys? That that realization of the power of God being present, okay? I, I, I guess, you know, Katie's, Katie's family always prayed the rosary. Uh, we always went to mass, but it was... I didn't feel it, okay? I was there. Perhaps, looking back, it was a sense of duty, like my father. My father's generation, you get the Catholics who go to Mass because you have to. God's this big scorekeeper in the sky, and if you go to Mass so many times, you're going to go to heaven. Very well, beautiful. Yeah. So it was the realization that God is present here and now, okay? As I said when I called into your show a year ago, I There's said, you know, if, yeah, if God is the same yesterday, today, and always, mm-hmm. then why wouldn't this happen? It was mm-hmm. that real, that breakthrough mm-hmm. moment. And so we became awesome. part of the servants in song, and we would go to all the charismatic masses, and I would play guitar, and she would sing, and our children were little infants in a pack and play. That's awesome. And we would be, st- I'd be playing guitar two hours, two and a half hours while people were being prayed over. Mid-90s? Yeah, 90s? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mid-90s. Mid-90s. Yes. Mid-90s. Okay. And we were doing this, and, you know, it was a wonderful thing. We traveled all over. We were, you know, minivan, pack the kids, get the guitar, in the, in, and go. That's and, awesome. And, and, it, and it was a real—that was that realization. Thank God for Father Nolkowski, God rest mm. his soul, who was my spiritual director when I first became a deacon. And, you know, he was, at that moment, uh, at that time, you know, leader of the charismatic— Liaison. Yeah, liaison to the bishop. And, and, boy, what a guy to talk to. What a guy mm. to experience Mass with. And so— it it was a it was a total change of how I viewed things, mm. and and that's I think it was that time in the charismatic movement that opened me up to okay that voice is still there about serving the church, but no wait a minute I'm a married how do I do that mm. you know what do I do and and eventually it became more and more clear that I was being called to the permanent diaconate and so. That's what happened. So yeah, it was. I I, I I I thank Kate for praying over me and allowing me and taking my having Paul and Angie take my car keys so that I'd good stay job, there for Kate. the weekend. Yeah, good job, Kate. Well, just to punctuate in, in, one second, just to punctuate. We just came off a retreat this past weekend at the mm-hmm. same place. The Pines. Kate was there. Steph and I are very blessed to lead it for Magnificat. God bless Diane Dudenhofer and oh, the God wonderful women you. there. But just for anybody who's listening right now. It was everything you hear Deacon Mark and Kate describing. It was uh, fanning the flame. The grace is there from the sacraments, Mm -hmm. and it's just stirred up. It's like we can talk all we want about love and the nature of love, but falling in love is the encounter and the experience that Christ desires us to have. And it forges in us a character, not just emotions or feelings. They are part of it. And there is a danger, let's just be honest, of worshiping emotions in the name of God. Got it. But but as John the Baptist said last week, you know, he I baptize in a water of repentance. The one who's coming after me will baptize in a what? 
in fire, in the Holy Spirit. And just for everybody to hear, this is in solid Orthodox Catholic teaching, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and it is well worth you, maybe anybody who's listening, to really have an audacity to inquire more and to seek it out and contact us if you have any questions. But it is a game changer. And every place where people are uh, availing themselves to this, the organizations we work with reveal the the fruit and the power of that experience. And it's vocations, solid vocations, marriage, priestly life, etc. There's just my little commercial there. This is a real deal. We speak of it maybe with some fun, but with seriousness, folks. For us to see culture transformed. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we're being given, and we need to receive it more in spite of how faithful we are to church teaching. When you receive it at baptism and then in confirmation, but God won't ask you to do anything, you ask and you receive. Mm. So when you're asking for more and wanting to grow, and I need you in my boat, Jesus, and you're walking with the Lord, um, first of all, there's going to be problems with um, self-talk because the closer you walk to the light, the Mm, darkness wants to seep in. Mm. And that was a big problem. And you're spiritually sensitive. You're aware of that spiritual realm. And you have to surround yourself by people of the light, and you have to be able to ask for people to pray for you. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to um, step out of your comfort zone and share things with people instead of repressing it and sticking it down. I want to move us quickly, yeah. looking at the time. We could yes. go hours. You guys are so much fun to talk with, and we, we know we've talked all the way to Erie Piana trip once. I think it was hours. <laughs> like, like, Let's yeah. have more Wonderful 80s. Stuff, you know, it, was, it was great. Good stuff. Good stories. You know, not all rated PG-13, but a great stuff that, you know, the Spirit is very much alive in our stories, and those of you who are listening mm-hmm. in your story, wherever you're at. All right, take us up to uh, 2013, 2012, 2013. Okay. Um, after every child, I gained more and more weight. I am from a history of obesity. I didn't learn how to eat properly as a child. And so I was not an alcoholic. I was a food addict. Mm. So instead of dealing with my feelings with alcohol, I pushed them down with food, and that's not a healthy thing. So I was a very large woman. And in October 2011, I had weight loss surgery. And then, like, two weeks later, they found out I had a leak. So I was a sepsis. Mm. And That means toxicity in your body. In the blood, yes. She almost died. And they took me by ambulance. I had it in Akron. And when we got there, I remember praying the whole time in the ambulance. And when the ambulance uh, EMS people gave me to... Akron General, the nurses, to go in and have surgery to fix the leak. They said, um, how are, what are, what's her, her pain level? And they said, do not listen to her. She is worse than what she's going to tell you. Mm. Because I just was praying, and I guess they were looking at the numbers, right. mm-hmm. and I just didn't say much. I didn't realize. And then I had... Um, blood clots. Gosh. And it almost killed her. And then I went into severe depression because if you're a foodaholic and you can't eat your problems away, mm. then 
how are you going to deal with them? Mm. And Mark was in his third of four years of the diaconate, and he had a drop out of the program. Mm. I had to take a leave of absence. A leave of absence. Yeah. I was supposed to be ordained in 2013. I was, and it was 2012. Mm-hmm. But I went to Monsignor Kubaki, who was at the time the you know director, director. of the program, mm-hmm. and I said, "Look, I'm going to have to you know put on put my diaconate on hold." And you know what he said? It was wonderful. He said, "You know, I'm glad you said that." And I'm like, "Really?" He said, "Yeah, because if you would have said that I want to continue in the diaconate, I'd have worried about you because right. your first vocation is to your wife." Amen. And so he said, "You know, we only ordain every four years, so you'll have to wait." until 2016, and then we'll put you in with the new guys for one year to get acclimated with them, mm-hmm. and then you'll be ordained in 2017. And I was like, that's fine. And, and, that's but, beautiful. Yeah, it was that's wonderful. Beautiful. It was wonderful. Thing. Katie almost dying twice. I mean, that was very stressful. And then her depression and the and when struggles you're in that we've depression, had. Yeah. You don't know if you're ever going to come out. Right. I mean, I didn't want to leave the house. Yeah, right. yeah. My children wow. had a mother me. Mm. And I knew I I didn't want to live. Mm. Yeah, she would she would be sleep all day, and so finally, I knew she'd never leave the house. I asked her, "Let's go out, do whatever," and I knew that wasn't going to happen. So I finally said, "Okay, you're doing one thing today. I need you to empty the dishwasher, okay, or I need you to do a load of clothes, something." to get her out of bed mm-hmm. and at least moving around the, the house a little bit. And she would do that, right. but that's all she would do. And the rest of the time, she she was hiding in her bedroom, totally in depression. And it was, what a time for prayer and what a time for asking God, God, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. How am I going to deal with this? What are, What's it going to be like? You know. So let me point out and, a second oh, for our listeners with the time. This is having gone through bapti- baptism in the Holy right, Spirit, charismatic right, right, right. the prayer, the renouncing, right. all of that we stuff. Were, so on it still happened. So mm-hmm. punctuate for us, uh, looking at the time here. Yeah. What happened? Well, my sister said, "Well, if she's going to stay in bed all day, she might as well come out to my house and stay with me." Mm. And she's like an exercise Nazi, and she wouldn't <laughs> let me stay in bed, and she'd make me do things. That's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, bless your God sister. bless her. I know. God bless her and her husband for mm. inviting me in. And she also realized that the doctor I was seeing was not helping anything. Mm. So we switched doctors. And when I went to the doctor who I had been seeing years past, I went in. Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. He told me, um, you're going back to work in two weeks. And I cried in his office. Mm. I said, I can't. He goes, you are because you are not going to get better hiding at home. Right. Awesome. And oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, for those of you who are out there listening, you know, we've been through this and, and we'd been through, you know, baptism in the Holy Spirit. We'd been active members of the charismatic movement. That is not a guarantee. It's like the flu shot. It's not a guarantee you're not going to get the flu. Mm-hmm. These things right. will happen. And sometimes you may question God. God, why is this? Mm-hmm. I've been so faithful to That's you. Good. Why does this happen? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? And you know, sometimes you don't get an answer. All you do is persevere in prayer and in your own effort. And now that we're on the other side, thank God, of those kinds of problems, right? Then we can say, okay, 
we can see where it's the grace of God that has helped us. I tell my students, in fact, we're talking, we're going to be talking about marriage very quickly here in, in, in the last semester. I say, your marriage has to be three people. It has to be you, your spouse, and God. And mm-hmm. if it isn't, you're in trouble. And you guys know that just mm-hmm. as much as we mm-hmm. do. And so for those people out there who are thinking, you know, wow, I, I can, you mean this isn't a guarantee? If I do all this, it's no guarantee mm-hmm. that I'm, no, God never guarantees us. We're mm-hmm. not going to suffer. We're, he never guarantees us it's not going to be, you know, better roses or going to be a problem. No. He guarantees he's going to be with us. Exactly. That's exactly. Oh, 92. You are so good. I was there for you, 86. It's that Gannon (laughs) education, I'll tell you. That's right. But you guys give beautiful witness to that in the the faithfulness to the marriage vows. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I was going to mention earlier when when she was talking. And it's still a struggle. Mm -hmm. Sure. But I remember when Kate was taken away to the hospital, we had our children farmed out to her brothers and sisters. So because they were I was working, they were too small to be left at home. Mm-hmm. I actually had people at work who would tell me, you know what? If you divorce her right now, you'll get everything because she's in no mental state to fight and you could get a court order and you could have it all. Wow. And I just looked at them like, and you're my friend. Right. Yeah. Right? right? You don't understand at all. Right. You're just in the yeah. world. I mean, you're 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 just not even thinking the way you're supposed to think. Right. When I got married, guess what? I meant it when I said for the rest of my life, mm. no matter what. And I've always had that mindset. Right. And that's what I tell I'm my scared. students. I say, yeah. you have to have that mindset the yeah. day you're married. And there's joy in there. As I look at the sure. time, we've got literally oh. three minutes left. Oh, but sorry. I want to punctuate some oh, things from the story that Steph and I know. Number one, Kate, you've always given extraordinary testimony with such jubilance to your husband's faithfulness. And you said, you know, I wouldn't have stayed with me. But he did. Correct. And Mark persevered. We're not going to canonize Mark like we have any Please power don't. to do anyways. No. But, but no. <laughs> folks, but you're, listen, you're listening to folks. What a marriage uh, is. A testimony, a, a testimony of relying on God and his grace in the darkness, yep. in the desert. Gethsemane is kind of a charismatic place. It's kind of a place where you're saying yes in spite of what your feelings and your senses are mm. telling you because God promised it. Because he declared it. Because he he fashioned us to be sons and daughters of the Father in Jesus Christ. And when we go through those clouds and darkness, we declare that and we seek that. And to surround ourselves by an atmosphere, by people who will reinforce that around us. I know, Kate, in the last few years, you're very open about this. Very blessed to get texts when you experience challenges. And again, folks, you who are out there, that could be anybody. But tonight, folks, as we're needing to wind it down, we just want to proclaim that Christ is victorious. That on the other side of crucifixion is resurrection. But God's hand is in the midst of the struggle and the challenge. We're never closer to Christ than in our suffering. We're so grateful that you, Deacon Mark and Kate, give such beautiful testimony to saying yes. And it's a journey. So let's just close right now in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are victorious. You made us for yourself. We want to receive that grace alive in us in abundance and overflowing to all around us for your glory through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.